0: Oh, what up, guys and girls? It's Bobby
1: and Sean,
0: and we're back, baby.
1: We're back. Happy Easter. He is. He is risen. He has risen. What's the appropriate uh, greeting? Maybe he has risen is the correct greeting. Isn't the song though? He is risen.
0: Uh, I suppose there is a song that he is risen, but I think the saying on Easter is he has risen because he's you know he's back again.
1: Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. So. In that light, then, uh, if we're continuing with this religious discussion on what is uh, a biblical podcast, um, do you reuse the same pan every single morning, and how often do you wash that pan for breakfast? It depends
0: on how dirty it is. So, I if I like if it's like clean, like mostly clean, I w- won't wash it. But you know, there's a bunch of residue, I'll wash it. So for example, like yesterday, I made like a sandwich and like a, like toasted my sandwich on my, on the, uh, on the pan. And then I just, uh, left it there. There's a little bit of oil, but like it wasn't dirty. So, you know, I guess it's
1: your judgment. I think I go like, I might go the whole week cooking eggs and spinach and beans and peppers all in the same pan. Cause I, I feel like it really seals in the flavor. I don't think there's any scientific background that's really delved into that subject. Um, but if anyone's listening is like a, uh, you know, top chef type individual, let me know. Cause I've been doing this for years and I, I've not gotten sick yet. So I feel like that's part of like building up the immunity is just reusing really dirty shit.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if there's a, uh, a rationale to quote unquote sealing in the flavor. Maybe it's just this, you know, a sign of laziness and, <laughs> Not wanting to wash
1: it. But, I could, be, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm also environmentally friendly. And, uh, you know, that's why. And anyone that's ever been in my platoon, I was always the dirty kid. Yeah. I can uh, like I. I know someone's at the house. Um, yeah. I, ah, fuck. My garage band just quit on me. God damn it. Oh, wait, no, it's still going. Never mind. It's still going. All right, oh, this is hard. a live stream. This, this is why people know us, you know, because we're, we're technologically savvy. Um, yeah, I, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm dirty. Um, I wouldn't shower, but every few days my first deployment, it got so bad, my platoon sergeant just took all my shit and put it outside the tent. was like, you smell. You need a, you need a bathe. And I was like, all right, that's probably a sign. But I thought, we're in, you're in, we're in war-torn Afghanistan. I thought that's what you did. You know, you were just dirty, but uh, apparently not. Yeah, I've always taken personal hygiene pretty
0: seriously, Sean. Um, I was, uh, actually just got back from San Antonio this last week. I went to this course called C4, which stands for Combat Casualty Care Course. It was a huge oh, I, th- of time. I thought
1: it was a really good pre workout that oh. used to be like the go-to the blue raspberry
0: yeah c4 is still decent it's just like uh it's essentially like an energy drink now i don't think it's i don't even consider it a pre-workout but they do have like non-pre-workout energy drinks that are pretty good that i drink pretty regularly but they also have like the c4 can pre-workout that's also pretty good too so
1: okay i know you're you're about to get off on what was uh going down in San Antonio, but on that tangent is it Economical to purchase all those cans of pre workout, or just get the the flavor packs that you can just mix in. Like, you know, like here's a candle, but imagine this was a you, you know powder. a can of pre workout. Yeah, yeah, the powder, powder form, not the packs. Yeah, whenever I see someone with like a can of pre workout, uh, Kieran included, I'm always like kind of disturbed. Like, why would you spend a dollar fifty, two fifty, three fifty on what is essentially like pure caffeine and sugar when you can get the same thing in powder.
0: So I will say that the C4 pre-workouts actually tastes pretty good. And it's also convenient too. You go to like, you know, the shop at class sex, you go to the gas station, you just buy like a, like a can of pre-workout and you don't have to mix it. Granted it is you know, certainly more expensive, but it's not significantly more expensive if you like do the math. Cause if you do the pre-workout, it's like $30. It's like, you know 30 servings for like 40 bucks or something, something. yeah so and then the canopy worker like two bucks so certainly it's more expensive but like it's not significantly more so you know
1: have you ever tried bang energy drinks no
0: they're a little too strong for me i like to have like Dude, about 200
1: i uh i had like a third of one of those things and i felt like my neck was going to explode. Like, I felt like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall, like, on the, the sands yeah, on of Mars. Mars. Yeah. And just, like, my face was, I was going to rip it off just out of, you know, pure convenience so that I wasn't in pain any longer. Like, it wasn't, an, in the whole day, I was just, like, anxious and jittery. Like, it was the worst pre-workout I've ever had in my entire life.
0: Yeah, there's only, like, a, uh, a sweet spot for, like, pre-workout and, like, caffeine and stuff. I found that, for me, it's about, like, 200 milligrams of caffeine uh, for pre-workout. I don't know how some people can take, like, you know, 500, 600 milligrams caffeine, which is, like, insane in my mind.
1: Yeah, that... I mean, but you've also been a big proponent of just doing straight, like, black coffee before working out, too. I'm not sure if you're still on that train, but I know for a long time I would be on just regular coffee before I'd work out.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, just a little bit of caffeine before working out is not... It's actually, like, probably good. Uh, There's some good, like, science that says the caffeine can help increase, like, your mental alertness, leading to better workouts, et cetera, et cetera. But mostly, I, like, um, it's, like, a ritual for me for the pre-workout to, like, get your, my, my mind ready, you know, lets it goes to the body, uh, time to work out.
1: Yeah, uh, like, speaking of Afghanistan being stinky on a mission, I used to bring my pre-workout with me on mission, knowing that, okay, if we get back, you know, at 1800, okay, I've got to do my... Post mission debrief. Okay, I need to take it five minutes before we re-enter the the base, mm-hmm. so that I know exactly by the time I'm ready to work out my pre-workout, so I'm not like delaying my night any longer. That was that was pro. And then you know something would always happen, and I would just waste that pre-workout, and that would be a the real the the biggest shame I think of the war on terror was not being able to plan my missions out to every single lift that I wanted
0: that's truly the biggest struggle of deployment it's not the same thing it was like timing the workout or like having a workout around patrols is always pain in the ass
1: yeah i mean like john kirby said that he didn't see the withdrawal being chaotic from afghanistan and i'd have to agree because compared to not being able to time up my workouts to that withdrawal i would say my workouts were what I really remember Afghanistan for you know it's nothing else that the administration could have done except be like, hey, can you can you get your shit together, Al Qaeda, Taliban? Like he needs to get into squat today and you know his pre workout's going to kick in in thirty five minutes. Tick tock tick tock. Yeah. Okay. So we we're talking San Antonio. Oh yes. yes, um, yes, yes. They have a uh, Six Flags down there, don't they? Do they? I don't know they have Sea World. I don't know about Six Flags. San Antonio, that's the place with the Alamo, right? Yeah. And the Riverwalk? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that place sucks. I've been there, so I, I do know now I know what you were talking about. Continue.
0: Anyways, I was at C4, which is Combat Casualty Care Course, which was kind of a huge waste of time. Basically, it's like a course for like, the DOD's medical providers. So you have like you know doctors, you have dentists, you've got some nurses. Who else do we have? optometrists that would go to this course but as far as, like doctors go you have the wide gamut of doctors and like surgeons like myself and then like you have internal medicine doctors you have psychiatrists there and basically all the course does is it like teaches you t triple c or like the tactile combat casualty care you know like the the march algorithm yes does that ringing your bells
1: march no it's april so i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs>
0: Yeah, but essentially, like, you know, teaches you, like, some trauma support and then, like, TCCC. Anyways, it was a huge waste of time. And, you know, I just uh, really, but it was was kind of fun because you get to, like, hang out with, like, a bunch of people from all different walks of life. So, I, like, made friends with some dentists and stuff. But overall, the course was a huge waste of time. We spent, like, three days doing TCCC. And if you've ever taken two, triple C, like the army, it's like a three-hour like refresher, like once a quarter. Yeah,
1: I don't yeah. Know and, then, how. and then sometimes they make you go through the little like, uh, it's like a shoot house, but instead they're just filling it with smoke and screaming yeah, at you exactly. and shooting paintballs. Yeah. yeah. So we did that like three yeah, I... times
0: for three days, and I wanted at the end of the day, I was at the end of the course, I was just like, I don't care anymore. I know how to do this. Stop wasting my time. But it's like kind of funny because I'm like you know contrast my reaction to this training and then contrast like the normal doctor's reaction to training who haven't like done army stuff or like you know been like in those stressful situations and it's like kind of interesting that people um still have that like stress response and like freak out when someone's like yelling at them there's noise they can't see and stuff So that was very interesting that like you know for like me and i'm sure like other people that done army stuff It's actually not, like, very stressful. And then actually one of the cadre was like, it seemed like you were just walking through it and didn't take it seriously. And I was like, you know, I think I was taking it seriously. I just didn't manifest my emotions by, like, getting stressed, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm not a fucking child. Yeah. That
0: was kind of interesting to compare and contrast, like, my reaction and, like,
1: the other people's reactions to it. I'm, I'm, like, really... I'm like questioning where the army puts bases. Um, Like why Houston? I mean, not Houston. Jesus, I'm an idiot. Why San Antonio? Like what about that region or that city? Did the army look back, you know, in history and go, we should set something up here. Like this is the spot, you know, like Fort Polk, I understand. It's like the armpit of America. It's really challenging terrain. It's really hot most of the year. And, you know, you get uh, a whole bunch of suffering out in order to execute basic missions. What, what about San Antonio stood out to you as like Army did a good job? The
0: location was, I know there's a lot of land out in San Antonio that they can train on. But I mean, the, the bigger reason I think is because they have the hospital there. They have um, Brooke Army Medical Center. So BAMC is there. And that's like the Army's premier hospital
1: or the DOD's premier hospital.
0: It's the only, like, level one trauma hospital in the DOD. Um, but, like,
1: why there, though? You know, like, it, it, we have all these bases around the country, and you look like on the East Coast, you know, the, the majority of the 18th Airborne Corps is over there. California has Irwin, which is a training center, and then the rest of the units are up in the Pacific Northwest. It seems like, you know, but for a single division Uh, or two down in texas there's nothing else that's really like i know it's in the middle of the country but i i would have felt like the army's premier medical installation should have been you know put to one of the major coastlines
0: yeah i actually i'm sure there's a reason why you know san antonio and Bamsey was kind of selected it to become like the army's premier hospital but I also think it's you know, it has to do with kind of the development of the institution. Uh I actually don't know when BAMC was created, but if you imagine like all the other army posts are probably around like kind of large metropolitan areas like Walter Reed, you know, has so much competition from like D C all the D C hospitals. Yeah. So you have a like, Georgetown, MedStar, you know, all the other hospitals in D C, like Fairfax, Nova, whatever, Innova. Like every other hospital has like pretty significant competition from other larger hospitals that's been around for a while. So I'm not sure how BMC, um, got that like kind of like niche, um, development to become like the, like the regional trauma center.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, San Antonio is like the Alamo is unimpressive. I get Texans are really proud of it. I've never been proud of losing, but, you know, I, I'm not a Texan. Um, but even within Texas, between Dallas, Austin, Houston, I would take those three cities over San Antonio, like, any day of the week. And especially if you were to go to Austin and put this training center there, then you're really close to Fort Hood or whatever Fort Hood got renamed to, um, which, looking back on it, if you're there for a mechanized tank, um command like i think that's a really phenomenal installation to do that at in hindsight it pains me to say that but i feel like that would have been a much better place for the armor put it but and we're talking about being in a competitive market where you now have ut austin um i think you have texas state that's right there it just seems san antonio like you get the final four there every couple years i don't know though like what else really would be the big draw um I guess we we should go ask the Secretary of Defense that. That seems like something they'd answer for us.
0: Yeah, I think uh, probably like twenty, thirty years ago or something, they like created this. Because uh, I remember when I wrote it there, they talked about it, but they have like this uh, like agreement between like all like all the EMS in the county, and then they're like ter- the tertiary referral center in the county for all the trauma. So I think that plays into it, but like certainly, you know, there's a lot of uh, like factors that you know, shape the decision to make Bamsi like the uh, premier Premier. hospital in the the DOD, which I don't necessarily think it is premier system either, but that's neither here nor there.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, we're talking about posts. I think a good segue would be um, and now we can't speak for the enlisted side of the house, but for the officer side of the house, I would definitely say that wherever your Bullock is, and then oftentimes your first duty station for lieutenants dictates your personality and that wherever you are, um, all the lieutenants end up being the exact same person by the time they graduate Bullock and go to their first duty station. What do you think about that?
0: I would probably agree with you. Uh, I think, but like just posting wise, there's certainly like a certain type of person goes to brag, a certain type of person goes to like, you know,
1: 10th Mountain, so that person was the first Cav good looking ones. I, I totally get it. This I agree with, but I was thinking back to it. A couple of my friends that went down to Benning before me, they didn't change, but I saw a bunch of my peers get to eyebolic and all of a sudden they started listening to country music, like 24 seven. And they were definitely not the type to listen to country music. They got really big into Auburn or Alabama sports or they started acting like, uh, Southern charm characters on the hit Bravo TV show and going up to Atlanta and, you know, spending hundreds of dollars on dressing like finance bros, um, boat shoes. Like it just seemed like whatever personality that they had coming into iBolic, uh, it was completely ripped away for this like quasi, frat boy, Alabama, uh, image that they were going for. And it was like really weird because everyone was blasting country music. I'm not a fan at all of country music, probably for that reason. And so it was always just weird. Like I wondered how many other posts dictated the kind of personality the lieutenant had, because these same lieutenants would then go to Fort Lewis and, they'd be like really big into the flannel and coffee scene and craft beer scene. And they'd be like really outdoorsy with the flat brim caps, or they'd go down to hood and they would just kind of go off the deep end on being super country, wearing cowboy boots when they're from Pennsylvania or getting like a giant lifted truck. When the only thing they're going to put in the back of that is like a six pack. It just, it, I think lieutenants, wherever you go to I Bullock, stay true to yourself. Don't pick up any of the local, I don't know personalities because you're not gonna stick with it. It's gonna look silly on you.
0: Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. You kind of pick up some like you know mannerisms and new things, try and fit in. I certainly have cowboy boots from Bullock days that I still. Wear. I have
1: cowboy boots from being at Fort Hood. I've worn them one time and they were a huge waste of money. I mean, apps. I remember putting them on, going. I'm at Fort Hood, like, I need to be like the locals. It's like if you go get stationed in Germany, you should learn some German. I thought, oh, I'm in Texas, I should wear cowboy boots. To date, honestly, probably one of the dumbest purchases I have ever made. Because, one, cowboy boots are not functional. Oh, come on. They're not comfortable. Come on. They look stupid. Get a pair of boots and lace them up. There's nothing about cowboy boots and, like, fitting them over your foot to midway up your calf that a pair of Merrells can't do. In fact, you can do more in Merrells than you can in cowboy boots. The only thing that you're wearing cowboy boots for is to say, "Hey, I live in a certain part of the country, and I, that part of the country values really stupid footwear."
0: I don't agree with that statement whatsoever. I think cowboy boots can be pretty functional if you get like work boots. If you're dress, getting like you know dress cowboy boots that's certainly different. Okay, but
1: in what work setting are cowboy boots better than, uh, again, a pair of... Like, marital annexes are my go-to boot. What world would you wear cowboy boots over a pair of annexes?
0: If you're working on a farm and then you have to walk the poop every day, the work boots are waterproof. I actually... on My Merrells are waterproof. But it's, like, not the same waterproof. It's, it's not-, not the same... Meryls are like okay. they've got like the cortex put into it, they're like breathable and whatnot, but,
1: but like shit can still get into it. Like it still gets wet. With the cowboy boots. So you th- so the only setting in which cowboy boots work is if you are working on a farm and every other step that you take you are just wading through piles of shit. For the most So part. if your farm does not have shit, are Merrills now the superior choice? Perhaps.
0: But I will say I, I do want to get a pair of cowboy boots for the hospital. Because they're pretty good hospital shoes. Because they're waterproof and they cover your ankles, so that if something splashes on you, it doesn't get in your socks. That's the worst feeling having wet socks in the hospital.
1: Oh yeah, I would have thought you would have just gone barefoot and like really just soaked it all in. Like your blood is my blood. (laughs) If 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 you've got to let it go, I will be there for you. I will be your sponge. I am your doctor.
0: But I will say, cowboy boots are not. It's not. They're not that bad. I actually like cowboy boots. I should wear mine more often. I've had the same pair of cowboy boots now for like 15 years, and so wear them. Well, damn
1: buckaroo. I had no idea I was with a, a modified true, cowboy. A true Southern man. A true Southerner. Oh, my goodness. Well, as we continue this talk, because what I was thinking also is I bought cowboy boots in Texas. When I moved to Carson, I bought a pair of... Uh, what, what's the flat brand that are, that like the Tolis, uh, Berk-Sex. you know what I'm talking about? No, I have Berkey's. I love Berkey's. I have several pairs of Berkey's. Um, no, the, all, no, all the crunchy Chacos. vanilla kids, Chacos bought a pair of Chacos, uh, thinking I'd be going on like, you know, almost quasi barefoot hikes through the mountains that didn't end up happening. I'm sounding like someone who took a lot of the personalities from the locations that I went to. That's not the case. I just, a couple times I bought really questionable footwear, okay? Um, But, like, you go to Colorado. Everyone gets into spending a ton of money on uh, all-terrain skis and um, skins for their skis. And they go backpack skiing and they get into, like, climbing. Like, is that really controlling your personality based on where you get stationed or is that doing stuff to entertain yourself while you're in these unique duty stations
0: i think it was more to so the latter where you're doing something to entertain yourself in its stations. because like you know coming to washington i didn't like christina and i didn't really hike that much do that much outdoor stuff like in jersey like there's no you know mountains in jersey to go hiking in but coming out here there's way more trails when we're hiking things so we certainly got more into that Got more into skiing, got more into outdoor stuff. So, certainly, I think it's not necessarily um, shifting your personality, but trying new things wherever you're located.
1: That's something I wish I had done way more of when I was at Fort Hood. I've The only thing I did while I was there, I went to Austin a handful of times. I went to line dancing, square dancing, I can't remember what it's called, line where dancing. I wore the cowboy boots. Uh-huh. Um, and... That was about it. But one of the things that I really regret about my first duty stations in general is my personality, I think, was so dictated by, like, being the most fit person in the battalion, Um, like, all around fitness, either being, like, near, as near a 12-flat two-mile, but also being able to outlift almost, like, the majority of the soldiers— And, like, maintaining that functional fitness that, like, I really limited the amount of fun that I had. My weekends were, like, wake up, have a very, very small breakfast, get to the gym by 9 or 10, work out for two-plus hours, and then the afternoon was spent really just doing nothing but recovering, and then grocery shopping, meal prepping on Sunday, working out again. And, like, I didn't do much. Like, it was kind of – I feel like a loser looking back on it and not – Either like you know, developing a friend group there, or visiting stuff in and around Austin, Texas. Um, you know, but for a couple gyms.
0: Yeah, there's certainly like the uh, the trap I think that people can fall into. Certainly, is like being so focused on a certain goal that you kind of neglect a lot of things. Um, and I think it sounds like you might have some regret and remorse about not doing the things that you are now that you previously just we were making fun of people for doing
1: yeah oh exactly i mean but i still make fun of you like line dancing dumb like it's
0: not dumb line dancing is not dumb i actually went to a cowboy board last night one of my buddies is having had a quote-unquote bachelor party last night if anyone in the uh, to or jblm they know about steel creek on the steel creek last night did not wear my cowboy boots though because i didn't know that was part of that itinerary
1: oh well you should have just worn them out anyway because they're you know they're functional I walking downtown seattle you know you're probably stepping in a whole bunch of needles and vomit and you know human feces if it's anything like san francisco you should have worn them
0: i should have i should that's why i said i should probably wear them more often because they are
1: pretty comfortable shoes that i enjoy wearing but anyways you know some sometimes you change my mind on this podcast this might be one of those i might have to give cowboy boots another chance dude
0: i think it's like a, especially in the hospital setting i think it's very unique and people can be like oh he's the guy that wears cowboy boots
1: he's the surgeon that wears cowboy boots and it's like it could, i i think i could do that in law too because you could for sure whenever, if, if, and when I get before a jury and I'm, I'm presenting, you know, I, I think I want to do like the foghorn leghorn, like Southern Mississippi draw. Um, and I think a pair of cowboy boots really just kind of build on that and be like, I somehow just trust this man. Like he just seems like, you know, he makes uh, nice grits in the morning and, um, look at those cowboy boots. They're just so dapper like i bet he has a pair of cowboy boots for the yard work and be like oh yes ma'am I, I do but let's get back to my plaintiff he is unequivocally been injured by your party and just get on that that's exactly don't hire me if that's what you want i will not do that for you
0: Dude, pretty legit. I do Do lawyers have like a uh persona they put on in the courtroom oh yeah like a dot persona is like kind of yeah, like yeah even
1: yeah and even in in depositions And engaging with other lawyers, you'll find a lot of times that they put on a show because the whole big thing that a lawyer has to be is is this zealous advocate and like zealous is the key word. And so people flip a switch where you might have a good conversation with them in an informal setting where you're trying to come to some negotiation um, between the parties, you know, to kind of resolve it. So you're not you don't want to drag it on because it's going to be expensive for both parties. Litigation is so expensive. Um, And you'll build a good rapport with them. But as soon as like their client is present, if they are the type where like maybe they're coming from a, a a really small law form firm, or they're coming from like a gigantic law firm, it's weird to see them like switch so quickly. And they go to this really mean, really abrasive um, personality type where you're going, we were getting along amicably. Right. Like now we're, we're coming to a point where, litigation is our only recourse and it's like really frustrating because I think a lot of times lawyers get a bad rap because they appear to want to lead things on because they're billing it and um, you're just a litigious person. but at the end of the day a lot of this could be you know settled through a mediation or an arbiter if you just have sensible heads on both sides. So it's like really frustrating sometimes to to see attorneys be so rude to one another where it's just like, if the roles were reversed, you know we would be a zealous advocate for, you know, uh, the party you're representing, and the and you know, vice versa. So like, let's not treat each other like we want to rip each other's heads off. Otherwise, let's just go settle it that way. Let's just put on some chainmail and go down to a, an open field with a you know, an axe and a shield.
0: Funny story. Last night, I actually was hanging out with a couple of Jag officers, one of the one of whom. Um, do you know the uh the tiger mom thing? Ever heard oh, the, of Tiger Mom? Like the
1: what a Tiger Mom Yes.
0: The book Tiger Mom? Yes, yes. I okay, bet yes. The, the book. the daughter of the Tiger Mom.
1: Oh. What is what is the the daughter do now? Is she a jag? Yeah, so she went to Harvard for undergrad
0: and that's how she knows his friend group. It's cause this one dude uh, in a program it's his it was his bachelor party. He went to Harvard for undergrad, then went to Michigan for med school. But he did ROTC with her at Harvard. Then she went to Yale Law. Oh, my God. And then joined the Army. Why? Yeah, pretty ridiculous. I mean, like,
1: good for you. But it, there. for people that don't know, there are a couple of law schools that you go to yeah. that just by their name alone opens up a ton of doors, and especially if you want to work like big law, like in one of the cities around the country, like New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Boston, and going to a big, big school like Yale, Chicago, Columbia, uh, NYU, the top uh, University November. of Chicago, yeah, yeah it, it affords you an opportunity where you can interview anywhere in the country, and you automatically have the name recognition, even if you're at the bottom third of that class. They still consider that better than the top grad at like a mid-tier law school. Whereas if you go to a good law school that's like a top 50, it's probably still going to be pretty regional where you get hired and where you end up working. But if you go to Yale, like most of the Supreme Court justices, I think either went to Harvard or Yale, right. they start identifying individuals really early on at law school as being like, this could be a future you know district or, or circuit court judge, or this could be a Supreme Court justice. And a lot of the justices were also clerks at the Supreme Court, so it's kind of this like, yeah. yeah, So if you go to Yale and you you decide to join the army, that is like, oh my god, that I can't. I'm trying to think what a a proper comparison would be. What's like one of the best med schools in the country? Probably Harvard or Michigan. Okay, so it's like doing that too, and then going into the army, like which people do. Yeah, I've. It just blows my mind that people, are, that's pretty selfless. Yeah. That's a pretty, that's a pretty cool move to, to go and pass up on an opportunity to handle some like really big cases at any law firm in the country that you would choose to deal with soldiers getting DUIs.
0: But, yeah. She had some pretty good stories about like some of the shit that soldiers would do, which made me really appreciate the fact that I don't have soldiers anymore uh, to have to deal with any of these, these things. But she, pros- she's a prosecutor here. Um, that's very really interesting to talk to her. But yeah, I've i come to really appreciate that it seems like that law has a much more uh, emphasis on prestige than medicine, it seems like. It seems like the medicine, like you can, uh, there's still like a bit of like ivory tower like prestige involved in medicine, but I don't think it's nearly to the extent that you see in
1: like law school. Yeah, law school, especially when it comes time between your first and your second year, when you start doing on-campus interviews, my experience was if you're essentially not the top 10 to 20% of your class, the law school looks at you like, you know, feed yourself, figure out where you're gonna work. We're gonna give you and provide the doorway um, on your journey. But if if you're really one of the premier candidates out of the the law school, um, you get a lot of emphasis placed on you. And there's a lot of focus on making sure that you are directed to representing the school because, you know, you talk about the prestige, all the law schools want to be able to put on, you know, that one uh, one page pamphlet, 99% of our graduates pass the bar, um, 85% are working big law in like New York City, Chicago, average of a 168 on the LSAT, you know, like those all build into this idea that, you know, this law school isn't just an ivory tower. It is the ivory tower um, that everyone competes to get into. And one of the things that I found too, in going to law school, especially in New York City, everyone put an emphasis. I remember in high school and getting into like, oh, I have to get into UVA. I have to get into Penn. I have to get into William Mary. Half the people that you go to school with in law school didn't go to any of those schools. They went to any undergrad and they just excelled there. Right. And then that translated to them excelling in law school. So like, I think we're seeing that probably too now is, is the prestige in undergrad is, is uh, depreciating every single year as we put more emphasis on a master's program or on a doctorate program. Um, But yeah, law school is definitely one of those places that, that builds this fake society of, you know, you are, you are amazing because you have a three seven GPA. Everyone else is just a peasant to you.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because I feel like medicine probably used to be like that before, but nowadays it is definitely shifted towards not as prestigious based or prestige based. Because um, like you can like there's plenty of examples of like uh, doctors who come from like you know not your ivory t- ivory tower schools, that are still doing like really good. So I think in medicine specifically, I think that there's certainly um, you know, a leveling of the board in terms of, like, uh,
1: where you go doesn't necessarily dictate your career? The only thing that I've seen that somewhat dictates your very early career in law school is the the schools that are up there. Your, you know, T-14, your T-50s uh, usually have a higher bar passage rate than your other programs and I'm not sure if that is uh you know some some way indicative of the quality of student or if it's the the teaching that goes on there. I know a lot of schools that are are highly ranked have a lot of professors that have clerked that have extensive um backgrounds at you know a Harvard, a Yale, uh you know, other schools up in Boston and these schools that are on their way up will take those individuals and give them tenure in order to say, hey, we've got, you know, this many Harvard grads or Yale grads that are professors here. I think most of my professors were Yale Harvard um, and had also clerked at some level and then write extensively. So that, you know, you are not only are you competing on a curve um, for the best grades and against, you know, presumably, um, more talented students on average, by the time then you go and you take the bar because you've been held to a higher standard, you end up doing better on the bar, I think is the theory. Um, and so that's where I think when people get into this whole prestige mode of law school, it's like, okay, it may be, a, a fake, label that we're putting on this place but at the end of the day i'm gonna have probably a better chance of passing the bar getting licensed and going on to you know actually practice law if i go here versus you know a mid-tier school
0: yeah i think that i think it's more of a reflection of like um you have a more talented pool of applicants to draw from and i think it's like a self-fulfilling cycle because certainly i think the same definitely applies in medicine where like the big med schools are also associated with like big university healthcare like hospitals and by that nature you know the big ivory ho- like tower hospitals also have like uh doctors who are really big into research and then generate you know income for the hospital slash the med school and that having that research then like per- like permeates down to like the med school where then students are able to like get involved in research programs and then develop their own portfolios to then becoming one of these like like you identify like the ones that clerk or like um, write extensively, or they fall in that similar pathway of like academic medicine. That's kind of the the, the term for like
1: your academic uh, doctors that do a bunch of research to also teach. I think one of the things I realized quickly at law school, and I I only hung out with a, a small group at Fordham, and all of them had like one thing in common, and that was prior life experience, whether they worked for. Two to five years. Um, well, that was that was it. That's what distinguished us. Um, most of the people that came straight from undergrad did not have an appreciation, I thought, for uh, the you know a different viewpoint. You know, they they've been in a very again not to say that one side of the political aisle is is more dominant on undergraduate campuses or not, but we know it is. So you have a lot of individuals that come into law school that are coming from very, very liberal backgrounds, and law is inherently conservative. Um, There's a lot of precedent. There's a lot of strict interpretation. And when you're looking at laws that were written in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, um, regardless of maybe some of the cases that came out during that period, you are still going to have a a tighter and more narrow interpretation of how that law impacts and how we interpreted it today. And people could not handle it. And people got really sensitive to the fact that you were having mature conversations. And so it was really kind of disconcerting to go, okay, these are the future lawyers of America. These are the future leaders of the Juris Doctor programs, potentially at other universities that they go on and teach. And they were having mental breakdowns interpreting basic law. And it was very almost like I can see how authoritarians come to power because they're fearful of how a different side of the world thinks. And so you need to shut it down and shut it down hard because it hurts your feelings. Um, And so that was the one thing that with the younger generation, I almost wish, and I don't know how it was in medicine, but people should not have had the opportunity to go straight from undergrad to law school. I think there needs to be like a two year moratorium on applications until you've done something with your life to say, okay, like you can now appreciate the, the impact this law has on a population instead of just sitting there from, you know, your very narrow perception of the world and thinking everyone has to, to look at it like you.
0: Yeah. I would say that there's pretty, a fairly similar, um, phenomenon in medicine too definitely you can tell like who went straight from undergrad to med school versus like people who took like you know a break in between i don't know if that's a that's a good idea though to like have a moratorium on applications because i think especially in medicine the ones a lot of the people that don't go straight from undergrad to med school typically go get like a master's or do go to a research lab for a couple of years to like build that portfolio for applications so like, the think about it that way like even though they aren't applying directly to med school and are having some "quote unquote" life experience, they're still very much so in that academic machine of medicine, where they're you know getting a master's or working in research. So it's not necessarily like equating; it's not the same thing as like you know joining the army for like doing the army thing for a couple of years and then doing med school. So I don't know if that's like a a you know a great solution to that, but certainly I agree that you know the people. That had life experiences beforehand were typically better at being doctors for sure.
1: And I think too, when you look at the medical practice, you might say we don't want a ton of life experience because to get into med school and then to be successful at med school, it is so uh, you know heavily weighted on the academia, you, your your math, your sciences. Uh, maybe not so much like the interpersonal type stuff you would get from law school, where it's kind of just interpretive. It's like no, I like, this person's leg got chopped off. Like there's only a really a couple things that you need to do immediately to solve this problem. Um, maybe, yeah, more torn doesn't make sense because you, you just want to stay in that that like way of thinking where you're constantly in this analytical, scientific, medical uh, realm. But for law school, there's just so much that other than your writing skills that, you know, and where they need to be coming into law school and then by the time you graduate, there's just, too many different practice areas and there are too many different classes that you'll be exposed to that you will not have a true appreciation for what they're trying to get out of it if you've never really come close to experiencing any of it in your life. Um, You've got kids in property class that don't know really what a lease is because they're... if you're going to law school, I, I would say 99% of them are coming from a pretty wealthy background where their parents wrote the check for everything in their life because it's so expensive to now get a law degree. So you probably didn't sign your lease. Your parents probably did. Um, your parents are probably paying for most of the things. So your contract, you know, understanding how uh, contracts are enforced is, is not something that you inherently know, um, although it's intuitive. But I think there are a lot of experiences that. I'd say normal people have that don't go the, you know, K through JD, JD, JD program, um, are going to come into law school and, and be able to sit there and, and go, okay, like I understand the opposite side instead of being like, no, like we shouldn't even consider that. Cause it's, it's violent. It's dangerous. Like it, the only way I, you interpret it is my way. And if you can't see it that way, then like we, we should, you know, mute your voice in class. Cause it's, it's, it's dangerous.
0: Yeah, I th- I wonder if a, a better, like, uh, solution would be to do, like, a Teach for America or something like that, or, like, some kind of, like, service opportunity where you get to go experience, like, other people's lives, too.
1: I think that, in general, for, for, for graduates, it, it should be a thing. Um, I think everyone in the country should do a two-year service obligation, whether it's joining the military or going and working for the state or working on a federal program, because... People don't realize how hard it is to keep up the infrastructure of the United States. People don't really know what it means to be selfless anymore. Um, I think Americans are inherently selfish now um, and expect everyone else to do the things that they complain about um, and, and never you know, take up that, that mantle that I, I think America was built on. And that, that is like hard work pays off. So you're saying that we should have a mandatory service obligation? Absolutely. I mean, just from a health perspective too, I mean, we, we talked about physical 100 a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think Korea is a pretty fit country in comparison to the United States because they are all required to go serve. So you have to maintain some physical fitness level in order to go do that. They also have, I think a higher patriotism. They're also, you know, always on the verge of war with the North, but you know, we don't have that that, that direct threat any longer. But I think Americans need a kick in the ass to say, do something for the country. It is not just a, a take, take, take environment. And so you understand where your tax dollars are going and you understand um, what it means to you know have the shoe on the other foot. Um, it's the one thing that like I'm super frustrated that for as many great things that this country provides um people don't seem to really recognize that and it's just a, a complaining mindset instead of like developing solutions.
0: Yeah, that just harkens back to like, you know, Starship Troopers where they have like citizenship for service. Oh Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Rico's roughnecks. But the book the book Starship Troopers is like one of my favorite books uh of all time. But uh, the movie doesn't do justice.
1: I mean the movie doesn't do it justice. But the movie is still great in its own right. Right. Like that wasn't like John Carter of Mars. The John Carter series is a phenomenal series uh, if you've read it, you know, if you read it all the way through. And the book differed from the movie pretty significantly. And the movie sucked versus Starship Troopers. Book was great. The movie was still great, even though it it differed substantially from the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and was not as violent, and didn't have you know the story with his dad, which I thought was a really important story to tell. So, yeah, I think now we're talking about Starship Troopers. I gotta watch that again. Oh, I watched Tetris last night. That's a phenomenal movie. Tetris on, uh, yeah, it's it's about oh, licensing. Yeah, um, really good movie. Like, really good. I I didn't have like high expectations because. I feel like Apple Plus is 50-50 with either sucking or being pretty good. Yeah. Um, it is a hands down, I think it's the best movie Apple TV has has put out to date. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, I haven't uh, watched any of the Apple TV stuff recently. But Starship Troopers I, is classic.
1: Yeah. Starship Troopers is uh is really good. Um, okay, so we were talking about like really stupid purchases. Um going back to that for lieutenants, what is uh, there, what's some other, what are some other things that, like, lieutenants purchase at their first duty station, like, maybe military-related that you go, dude, why did you spend $600 on that? That is the dumbest purchase, other than cowboy boots, that you could have made.
0: I think the, uh, the trap of, like, buying, like, a big truck or vehicle at your first duty station is probably not the smartest. <laughs> Granted, I did buy a truck my first duty station, too, so I don't have much of a leg to stand on however you know it wasn't a
1: dodge ram so like people can't totally hate you but you know
0: it, w- it got a pretty good deal on it i mean at the end of the day it probably wasn't the best thing to do but um that's probably a trap that people fall into is like buying a really nice vehicle at the first station when they start making real people money or adult money i guess
1: i was thinking more of the lines of like plate individual plate carriers uh, um let's see Uh, their own cry uniforms. Ops cores now. Um, The one that I I really dislike is, what is it? The Garmin, not the Garmin Fortrix. What is the, what's the Garmin thing that I've got it in one of my, my bags downstairs, but the one we had in regiment, just that green. Yeah. Like the the Fortrix. Yeah. Like that, that was like 200 bucks. I think I use that all the time and the fact that you like you can bump other garmins and give them you know your your rally points and your objectives and pass on other you know critical data but people now are like buying these like 600 800 dollar garmin watches that have all these different programs like you're not using them to jump you're not doing halo operations you don't you don't need that, you know, capability. You can get the same out of a shitty green garment that you can then wear on your other wrist so you can actually see what's going on. Um, like, that was a really dumb purchase, I thought. And then also the cry uniforms. I didn't understand that. Like, why you,
0: we'll pay you bought?
1: I thought, I thought the issued uniforms were completely fine. Cry looks better, sure. But, like, if you're getting your uniform for free, why are you spending $600 on a set? Like, that's dumb.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there's certainly a trap that people can pl- fall into of, like, trying to look like a cool guy. Because you always know the first rule is
1: always look cool. So, yeah, people definitely can fall into that trap of trying to look too cool. Or, like, the plate carriers. that We had, like, lieutenants that bought the tiniest plate carriers. Like, my tattoo on my chest is 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 smaller than what I'd want my plate carrier to cover. Yeah. And you, you'd see guys a little bit smaller than me, but they, they'd have a plate carrier that wouldn't even cover this Cronus symbol. Yeah. Like, that that made no sense.
0: Yeah. coming Now, on the other side, on the medical side, and seeing, like, kind of the trauma that you get, having a correctly-sized plate carrier does make a pretty big difference. Uh, yeah. And a pretty big, uh, you know, marker of your mortality based on how much your plates cover.
1: Yeah, or um another one is like Peltors. Like I I know a lot of units will issue them now, which is great. I loved my Peltors. I had a pair um coming out of regiment and then I kept them when I was at Carson. Um and I still have them downstairs. Like I I love I love my Peltors and there's like a whole bunch of civilian varieties that you can purchase. But at the same time thinking back to it, like again, the army and people were successful in the army without Peltors. Like the hand mic was just as good, and if, if you were a leader, you, know, you could still get the, the radios set up so that you could hear both, and you didn't need to have these Peltors on, you didn't need to buy your own personal ops core, you wanted to look cool. Like If you want to look cool, again, go to the unit where they issue that stuff where you look cool, but do not spend 600 to $1,500 uh, you know, try, trying to do that. It just it makes, it makes no sense, it's a, and it, it's a huge money suck. Like if you're going to be successful, you're going to be successful regardless of whether you have that stuff. And if you're the only guy in your unit that's walking around with Peltors on underneath your ACH or wearing cry uniforms as a brand new butter bar or first lieutenant, like you are going to get significantly judged if, if you are just an awful leader. If you're not doing, if you are not blowing everyone away, your career is basically tanked because you're not going to get a top block.
0: Yeah, there's certainly, like, a... Uh, <coughs> I mean, I can see both sides of it, but certainly, like, that's a trap that I think people can fall into is trying to look cooler than they actually are. Like, yeah, I think there's, like, that, you know, that, like, reality versus expectation type, like, Venn diagram. And some guys will have that, like, reality is not... is not aligned with their personal expectations, you know? Uh, yeah. But, you know, I don't necessarily think... I think it's, like, uh Like it can be a little more nuanced than just like not spending money on gear too, because sometimes like gear does help, and if it does help you be a better leader, I don't know. So I think it's a bad idea to like spend a little bit extra money on that stuff, because you are at the end of the day a grown ass man or woman that can make their own decisions. But then, obviously, that's you know a trap that you can fall into when you're not as when you're still young and not as experienced. So certainly like um, having a little self awareness. Perhaps of knowing what is probably a good idea to buy and what's not a good idea to buy can certainly pay off and I don't I feel, I think the vast majority of people nobody's going down and dropping like five thousand dollars and like cry and like all the cry it out for their their first sometimes I think like a a garmin's a bad idea to bat. like have a nice
1: garmin to have or stuff like that uh, or nice yeah boots. but i th- I, th- I think that the like the garmin Fortrex or whatever it was was it a 201? Now I'm getting my, my garments confused with, like, my run watch and the, the GPS device. But the stuff that, like, if I were to redo my lieutenant time, what I would want. Um, on a comfort level, I'd want hand warmers, like the, the football. Yeah. Uh, quarterback glove. You know, Quarterback glove, like, you just put it around your waist. That thing was phenomenal. A drop pouch. And if you're a lieutenant out there, not because you're dumping mags, because it's like the, the perfect size. If you have a leader's book that you made that like you laminate, you tie off, you can throw it in there. You can throw, um, spare batteries. You know, it's like a catch all, um, like an admin pouch was really big. Um, for me, uh, I used like another canteen pouch for a lot of that. Um, what else? Oh, and like a good pair of boots and like, that's it that's it for like being a leader. If, if you get issued Peltors, that's awesome. Um, learn how to use them, like learn how to set your radios up. Uh, but like you don't need to buy, you don't need to buy cry. Um, in my opinion, you don't need to buy cool guy, cold weather gear. Um, you know, you can get, get if you want to get like cool guy, cold weather gear, again, go be a cool guy or, Go to REI and buy some basic stuff in black that you know might get away from uh, maybe what the army's issued you, but you're not spending a fortune on staying warm. Um, that's that's stuff that I would like spend money on. Um, not that I like didn't waste money on stupid stuff, but um, I would definitely limit it to that.
0: Yeah, I would add like uh, getting good socks would be a good thing to do. Getting, i was
1: fine with the issued man those those like really cheap od green ones like i i never had problems with them
0: they just like fell apart after like six months of wearing them. they just like fell apart i would just get like you know i was say get darn toughs so probably compare like good investment for like socks that last you a long time like darn toughs and then like getting good underwear or undergarments so like you know breathable like non-shitty underwear and like the undershirts probably not a bad idea too as far as your like your kit, like you said, dump pouch is really good. Um having like, cause we had the battle belts and I thought that was very beneficial having a battle belt. Would I get a battle belt in the regular army? Probably not. But you can also put like a you know, dump pouch on a on your belt normally anyways, so it's not that's like not that crazy. But I probably would not get a battle belt in the regular army. And then having that admin pouch I think is probably a good idea too.
1: I had mixed feelings about the belt because like a a lot of times based on where it sits on your hips, because you load it out, you have to connect it to your plate. And so if you were getting in an aircraft or you were in the seated position that the straps were very rigid. And so like they would interfere with you trying to sit down comfortably or like you feel like you were pulling on your shoulders because your hips were being dragged down by the belt. Um, you mention uh t- shirts that's from a comfort level I can see that the i think the i I loved the issue socks I had no problem with them the issue t shirts I did not like uh, if you find like a you know whatever the OD green color is now t shirt that you really really like um that's more breathable than what the army issues I would say like go with that, but I thought we talked about this underwear i never wore it when I was in uniform um I just like it I, I would chafe more if I wore it than than just putting glide on on and just going commando.
0: Yeah, I never had really had chafing issues by any means, but um, Brian actually turned out turned me on to these this brand X officio. Have you ever heard of it? Ex No. It's a uh, they make merino a lot of merino uh, like clothes. So they are their underwear is really good. They actually have a lot of their, like, their, like, hiking shirts and other things for, like, actual hiking. But Ex Officio makes really good underwear if anyone that's interested. B- briefs or boxers? Boxer briefs. But well, they, have, they have briefs oh. and boxers as well. But it's all, like, merino wool, oh. so it's, like, fast drying. It doesn't smell. It's, like, naturally antimicrobial. Um so would, would you
1: wear that, though, in a hot environment, or oh, would, yeah. would you go commando?
0: I, wore, I started wearing that at, at, down in San Antonio. I was wearing the ex-officio underwear like on the quote-unquote field days when I was sweating.
1: Yeah. And I used to. And you didn't, I, like, I just, I never, it, whenever, um, I think, I think I was an ROTC when I honestly started going commando. Uh, it was just really uncomfortable, because if, like, you're, the, the boxer briefs had all shifted on you when you were kneeling, moving, walking, like it just became like another layer to have to like try to adjust to stay comfortable. Whereas like if I just made sure that I had some like petroleum jelly or some glide on in between my thighs, like I could go for days and it was like just way more comfortable.
0: Yeah, I think it's just like, that's probably a reflection of you not having good gear, Sean, not a reflection of your
1: large penis. <laughs> that's not at all what I'm getting at. <laughs> I it, like, it just... Like even on rucks, I I could not like I could not wear the Under Armour boxer briefs, um, back in the day when like that was the new tech for underwear. Like I just, I don't know. I've always been like an advocate. And I remember telling people like if you're in uniform, go commando. Like that is the most comfortable way to wear those pants to limit chafing. Um, that's weird. I, I thought I thought we were on the same page with that. I didn't know you were an underwear guy in uniform. It changed.
0: Yeah, because I used to go commando like at ranger school and all that stuff. But then like, it's actually, for me now, more comfortable to wear underwear. Especially the ex-officio underwear, which leads me to think that like, maybe this entire time I just didn't experiment and find a good pair of underwear to wear underneath the uniform. Yeah. Which I think is actually you know, what the
1: story is. Because I compare that kind of to running shorts. Like, um, I would prefer to run in like ranger panties all day but I legitimately have to put on so much body glide again, even though there's real no difference between that and like going commando in uniform because I, I it hurts. So if I don't put on body glide before a run, like I will chafe, it'll be the most uncomfortable like rash that I'll develop. But if I wear a pair of like bird dogs or Lululemon that have the built in liner, even though I hate wearing like boxer briefs working out, I I won't chafe. So it's like, I don't know what the, I don't know where that difference is. Like, I would think if I was a commando in uniform, I'd be fine not, you know, having a liner working out, but I'm, i the opposite. I'd like, I need the liner working out.
0: I think it's a reflection of just like finding a good pair or what works for you. I think a lot of it, you know, when you're like young as a lieutenant,
1: a lot of it is like figuring out like what works for you too and figure out like, what does Well, it, what to bring it like. back, to bring it back to like the, the plate thing, One of the reasons that I found going commando was beneficial is because when you're in a field environment for five days, 10 days, three weeks now, what have you, it's way easier, I thought, to stay hygienic and give yourself like a field shower or wipe yourself down and not have to carry, you know, five, six, seven, eight pairs of underwear if you are, you know, sweating in an environment like JRTC for two weeks straight. Um, That just seems like having to carry extra stuff and separate like really dirty clothing from mission essential stuff that you have in your bag all the laundry that you've got to do you know thereafter where i feel like there were especially from a male side of the house there were you know other things that you could bring to the field that would keep you know below the belt clean dry um and and not like what i always figured was gross with underwear well that's
0: why the ex officio underwear is pretty nice because it's like merino wool so it's already like naturally kind of antimicrobic and then it's really fast drying and like really sweat wicking too so like the underwear like doesn't get smelly you can like dry it up like overnight or something and it dries pretty quickly so um definitely like hiking i wear it for hiking too
1: now i'll have to look into that that's i mean technology always changes but that's uh yeah, that's nuts. Brian actually turned me on to them like a couple years ago. Ex officio, highly recommend. Ex officio, yeah. we're not sponsored by them, and we sure as hell aren't sponsored by Under Armour because their boxer briefs suck. Yeah, Under Armour so,
0: has certainly like not innovated nearly as much as all the other companies.
1: No man, like their their stuff. their cold weather. their hot weather. It's the same shirts that I remember wearing in 2007 yeah, in high school. Like, yeah. Uh, I, it it does not feel like it has changed. Not in the same way that like Patagonia or Lululemon seem to have like upped the apparel game. It seems like Under Armour is still in this weird. I don't know what Under Armour is to be honest anymore. Like I know they moved into shoes, but it's surely not a uh, an apparel company that like I would purchase. Yeah,
0: there's only like a lot more companies, especially like the, a lot of the outdoor companies have certainly done a lot more innovation
1: in textiles and clothing. Oh, like thing. Cool, I love Cool um yeah even ll bean has like really good stuff now um if you want flannels that is but yeah i can't oh my god this is like this is mind-blowing i always thought you were a commando guy i was okay. for a long
0: time then like i said um started wearing the the actual like good pairs underwear and it actually makes a pretty big difference
1: okay well one place now i think that we can shift to that we will have no disagreement over Domino's loaded tots are bad. Never had them. Can't tell you. Oh, my God. I have been, I must have, like, a really smooth, soft brain because I was tricked into purchasing them from all the TV commercials that I've seen. What? Because the person is just like, loaded tots. I'm like, I I swear to God, two nights ago, I was like, babe, we're ordering loaded tots. I'm going to get the loaded Philly cheesesteak tots. They're probably going to be crispy. That's what the advertisement says. You can pair them with another pizza. I was like, all right. I'm going to order loaded tots. What a tremendous letdown. Like, if this is going to be a Domino's commercial, do not cast me. Like, don't come to my door in three weeks and go, we heard you had a bad experience with our loaded tots. How about now? And then you film me going, oh my God, these loaded tots are phenomenal. Thank you, Domino's. You've done it. Don't cast me for that. I'm going to tell you it's probably still trash. Like, they were so bad. They were soggy. They were cold. Um, the topping like just sat on it. Like, uh, like you were those kid kitchen sets when you were like five or six where like it looked like a, a thing of food that you could just put on a plate and be like, yeah. look, it's like, that's exactly what I right, thought of right, this right. topping on the loaded tots. Um, cause like Domino's, I don't like any of their food except for their cheesesteak pizza. Like it's the only pizza that I'll eat if I'm ordering Domino's what? and I don't order yeah, I don't order Domino's for anything except the Philly cheesesteak pizza, unless I can't make that at my local uh, pizzeria, but it's like the only time I ordered Domino's was for the cheesesteak pizza and for loaded tots, and now, it's not for loaded tots. Do not buy into their advertisements. They are awful.
0: Yeah, I've come to realize that, like, besides, from, like, pizza, and pizza-based products, a lot of, like, Domino's food is actually kind of trash, like, are not very good, personally. They might be better now, but, like, I remember the first time eating them a couple years ago. They were terrible. Their wings yeah. are not very good either. But the pizza, no. I think, is fine. And then, like, their cheesy bread stuff, also pretty good.
1: Yeah, see, I I, I don't like their pizzas because um, I feel like they're they're pretty... You can find them now at other actual mom-and-pop pizzerias that put a little bit more effort into their, their pies. Um, but the... I don't know. It was such a letdown, man. I I bought into it hook, line, and sinker, and I feel like an idiot having ordered loaded tots. So, like, Well, I will say letdown. that, like,
0: living in Jersey, you certainly have, a, you know, a much better pool to draw pizza from. Certainly, like, a lot more local, like, mom-and-pop pizza shops. But here on the West Coast, dude, we don't get pizza unless it's from Domino's. The only other pizza that are around is, like, $30 for, like, a, you know, a, Samsung, a large, like large. It's stupid
1: expensive well, You say that though Because where you were down in Jersey You were still close enough to Philly And Haddonfield and Cherry Hill Where you had good pizzerias Like I've been down there I, I was just down there a couple of weeks ago There's a ton of them Where I'm at It's like too far away From Newark From Jersey City And from New York To have like really good pizza I, I've tried five local places And To date, haven't found one that if I were to rate like Joe's Pizzeria on the Lower East Side as a 10, these pizza places wouldn't make a five. Uh. Um, They're still better than Domino's, but I, I feel like I'm too far away from a major metropolis to hold these kind of mom and pop pizzerias accountable for not making like a truly great pie.
0: That's fair. Like down South Jersey where I used to live for med school, there were like five or six pizza spots within like 10 minutes that I could go get. They were like all phenomenal. Paying what kind of Yeah, food. and same
1: with sandwiches to end with like uh where we went and got sushi there. We've gotten Chinese food in in Philly um and Italian food uh Indian food like all better down there. I don't have any of that stuff oh, really, really here in North. Sur- no, man. Like I, if I want Indian food, I will legitimately order it in Morristown, which is still 30 minutes to get to Morristown from this place and then drive that home and warm it up because there is nothing good uh. out here in Roxbury within, I, I honest to God, like 35, 40 minutes at that point though. It's like, it's so cold when it gets to you, like it, reheating it just is not the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I will, you know, although certainly that's one thing I do miss. I'm like Philly area, living in Philly area is the food. There is way better, for some reason, way better food down there than up here and, and like Seattle, like Metropolis area. Seattle metro area, for some reason, only has like decent like, you know, American food, which is like
1: not... See, that's weird because I right would have thing. thought that having seen a ton of Top Chef, like a lot of the chefs that do really well come from the Pacific Northwest where they have a lot of locally sourced ingredients, a lot of really great fish, a lot of unique like vegetable and leaf choices. Um,
0: sure. But that's like a top tier, like fine dining experience. But like, yeah, it's, a, it's like a fucking Tuesday night. I'm not trying to spend a hundred dollars for, you know, a pasta. I just want to go get some like good Italian food or good Indian food, but there's no, neither of which exists out here. That's like yeah. a reasonable
1: price. You know, another one that um, I'm frustrated with, and uh, again, if you're tuning into Kernisfit, we we started as a biblical podcast, and we've now made our way to a foodie podcast. Um, Buffalo wings. Uh Uh, Wingstop, overpriced. I do like Wingstop. B-dubs, but they're overpriced. Uh, B-dubs, I used to love going to B-dubs. And then I started realizing that the B-dubs, like, boneless wings were like chicken nuggets and i think they're actually being sued right now because the guy's claiming that that's exactly what they are <laughs> uh and like i've i've purchased from costco the chicken wings to like fry myself yeah. and they come and they're like the size of your fist oh, you're yeah, like yeah. this is great and then you fry them and i swear to god they, they're like shrunken down to your pinky i don't know what they're doing to make these things look so jacked and then you put them in a sauna and they come out like this, like water weight. that's frustrating. It's all water weight. So frustrating. Uh, I just want good food, man.
0: Yeah. It's one thing I've uh, definitely certainly missed. I think like South Jersey, like Philadelphia area, I think it's probably the best food that I've ever lived. If any place I've ever lived, best food.
1: I would say New York city, but that's, I mean, I think that's pretty, that's cheating. Though. That's che- oh my God. It's, it's so cheating. If you live in New York city, which I think everyone should, should do once in their life. Like, honestly, like for two years, live in the city. It's a really cool experience. Um, you know, again, don't lose yourself being there cause it's, it's really easy to be super negative cause everyone there, um, is a colossal prick, but the food scene on the lower East side was just tremendous. Um, there were so many varieties of restaurants from, first second and third generation immigrants that like you could literally go to a different country essentially every single night for weeks on end and and like really expose your palate to to cool and unique taste and then all the basic stuff that you know like a macaroni and cheese how many ways are there to make macaroni and cheese well there's like a macaroni and cheese restaurant off of a avenue or something where they have like 25 varieties and it's like I could have gone there every single night. Like, I, I would have got huge, but, uh, like, beyond good. And same with, like, the bar scene. I mean, it's, like, a cool place to live for a little while. But, yeah, coming out to Roxbury, it's, like, yeah. it's so disappointing.
0: Although I will say the food in Seattle is pretty good. It's just the fact that it's uh, time-prohibitive for us to go up to Seattle to get food. Um, so, like, we try to go up to Seattle, like, once every other month for, like, a, like a date night or something. And that's like pretty, yeah. pretty good food and stuff up in Seattle. But in Tacoma, there's not much in Tacoma. There's like a couple of spots, but nothing
1: great. Morristown has a, a good variety of restaurants like downtown. They have a really nice square and they have like a restaurant row that that's probably about like 400 to 500 meters long and lined on both sides with, you know, like cool bars and restaurants. Um, a really good pizza place in Morristown. What's it called? Mimi's or Millie's one of the, one of them is in Savannah's, I think Millie's or Mimi's again, either one. Um, they have like coal fire and wood fire, um, for their heat source, which is just a a really cool, uh, way to taste your, your bread. But yeah, living further out West, there's not much. Um, but it's like, you know, it's kickstarted me wanting to make more food and, you know, and not rely. Cause it's again, if you live in an area that doesn't really have good takeout food, you're going to be like way more hesitant to spend $50 mm-hmm. on a date night than just to be like, I'll spend $50 on some high end ingredients. Um, yeah. like some good steaks or something. Cause I'm, I'm not wasting my money on this, this stuff. sure
0: Oh, now that I think about it, the best pizza in Tacoma is actually at a bar. It's a brewery. E9 brewery has the best pizza in Seattle in Tacoma. Anyone that's already, anybody that's uh, out here. E9. brewery. Oh. They, the, they actually and have a like wood-fired pizza oven, and it's
1: actually a like really good pizza, though. A like really good pizza. Best pizza way. in Colorado Springs was at, like, a high-end bakery that only sold pizza on Saturdays between, like, 9 a.m. to 12 at, like, Nightingale's, which was next to, like, um, some—I think it was called Lamb— Bar and Grill, and then CrossFit SoCo. Mm. Or, or where it used to be CrossFit SoCo um, before it moved. And it used to be in an old elementary school, which is how everything in Colorado Springs is, because that's trendy to to take it in school and keep all the, like, really little kid urinals in the now big person building. That's not weird at all. Um,
0: yeah, I remember working out there. It was very interesting. Worked out there with Chandler Smith. Shout out Chandler
1: Smith. Oh, yeah. Is he... When are the games this year? Are they are they still like doing the open thing right now?
0: They're at the semifinals stage. So they had the open, they did the quarterfinals for like people that did well in the open, did the quarterfinals. Now they're the semifinals here coming up in the next couple of weeks, where that's like the regionals or whatever,
1: think like the qualifiers now, in person qualifiers. I know Ricky Gerard is out, which is a bummer. Um, I was hoping I was hoping he was gonna have a, a comeback tour, but um, yeah, I guess he did
0: something to his elbow or his shoulder. Yeah, he's like mountain biking. I had like a mountain biking accident and like dislocated his
1: shoulder. It's Oof Sucks. Is Tia Claire Toomey, uh, still in the running to make it to the games? No, even, she's like, like having... super pregnant right now. Yeah, but I, I thought she was still, like, oh, scoring higher than the average. I think she
0: probably, like, got a semifinal spot, but I don't know if she's actually going to go to it. I don't know.
1: I'm so far removed from, like, I just, all the
0: stuff I see in CrossFit now is just based on social media. What I see on social media?
1: Yeah, I don't, I couldn't, honest to God, I could not name five males that are still in CrossFit, um... But I think Noah Olson is, is out. I think he's doing like a weird fitness journey thing. Brett Fakowski, I have no idea. I we're like dating ourselves by the crossfitters that we follow. Yeah. Oh well. All right. <laughs> Let's wrap it up on this Easter Sunday. Uh had- what do you, you got anything else?
0: No, I say this is a this is a very interesting podcast. You went from like easter to law school slash med school to you know purchases in the army to now food so very very diverse podcast so hopefully
1: and and yeah and personalities too at different duty stations yeah
0: which i kind of grouped together and it's like the whole like uh buying buying stuff
1: oh yeah oh and our most important part of the podcast which should be like you know headlined is you know, underwear and uniform. I know uniform. Good or bad? <laughs> yeah. That's a big debate. Maybe we'll. Uh... <laughs> That's the big debate. I I think we're still going to come back to this because I I'm going to have to go find an old pair of OCPs and get a workout in um, to test that. Um, although I will tell one story. Uh, the bad part if you wear if you go commando in uniform and like you are on a legitimate mission. And blow your um, You yeah and like. Legitimately, I've seen it multiple times where people went commando, blew their crotch out on like really sharp rock. Um, We didn't, you know, we're going out for, weren't planning on doing any remain over day operations, but had to. And so now, like people are literally taping up their pants um, because their pants are blown out. Where if they had underwear on, it, I don't think they really care. So maybe that's the lesson here. Army should make better stuff that doesn't blow out. Well and then my side completely wins. Yeah, I was like uh
0: I feel like the new OCPs are probably better. I actually don't know cuz I'm so far removed from like the line. I actually don't know if that happens anymore. Cuz so used to have pretty not, like relatively frequently like blowing your, blowing out your crotch in your pants but I don't, I don't know if it's still a thing now.
1: Yeah, and I don't know like what size quads you had to have to do that cuz like the only people that I knew that blew them out were jack. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't like the thin kid that ran a 10 minute two mile like it was The guy that was built like a gorilla. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's still a thing. I only have one set of OCPs at this point, to be honest, so.
1: Yeah. Um, And also, let us know if you think Bobby should just start walking around in cowboy boots in the hospital, or if he should walk around in five-finger shoes. I I vote the latter. I think he'd look really cool in five. I've seen people walking in five-finger shoes in the hospital. It's fucking weird. You should do that, and then, like you know, hold a pencil and act like you're going to take notes and really
0: just
1: <laughs> give your patients a, a a quick second thought. No, no, no. That would be hilarious. Though. One of the things I developed at medical school was learning how to write with my feet so that I could check you at the same time as I'm taking notes. I mean, you fucking weirdo, Bobby. That That's you. I'm going to start that rumor now. That's going to go. Caboots. boots. All right. Dr. Bobby writes with his feet.
0: All right. With that, we, we will end it now. All right. All right. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. See you guys later. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.